this lady, she she took a, a toll of how many times her, at the time, I believe it was an 18-month-old daughter, would look at her throughout the day, right, um, for affirmation based on what they were doing. And on average, after a 30-day span, it was somewhere in the ballpark of 30 times a day. Now, we all work, so those times are excusable. But if I'm on social media, just bullshitting, TikTok, Instagram, what it, well, and that's not even real life. And my kids looking at me for affirmation and I miss that. Like, oh, daddy, look what I just put the building blocks up together. I, I didn't want to be that guy that missed it. So early mm. when my wife and I first got married, we're talking eight years ago, we both decided to, you know, delete all social media and life has never been better. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is the now world-famous Higher Standard Podcast, and I am your host, the infamous Chris. Hi. It's been an exciting couple of weeks. Things have been a little nuts, a little crazy. I would have never thought in a million years that social media would be keeping me this busy in addition to, I don't know, all the other things that I do for a living, but it's been a nonstop merry-go-round. And despite the fact that my social media hasn't grown exponentially, what it has done is made some really key introductions for some really cool upcoming projects that I hope to be able to share with you all in the next couple coming weeks. But that's the last thing I really needed from a time perspective because now it's even less time than I had before, which is even limited. So the show, I do not want to to change i do not want to take away from the time of doing this i love talking to people i love talking to guests i certainly love the 20 minute educational solo episodes i hope you guys do too i really try to put everything i can into those and it's really easy for me to kind of pop down to the home studio and record these things but i thought one of the things that would add a little bit more culture and flavor to the show was to bring on a co-host who i know has a difference of opinion on life than i do in some cases so Saeed Omar and I, the co-host, which I'm going to officially dub him, I'm going to knight him that today, is a friend of mine that we've been friends for like 20 plus years. I've known him since he was in high school, man. He's a kid. But he's always been somewhat of an old soul. We both have you know, working jobs. We both have families. We both have things to do. And don't get me wrong, he likes his bald taper haircuts and his J's, and he's definitely hip and cool some ways more than me. But he's not on social media, and he's not really kind of part of the zeitgeist that I'm in now. So it shouldn't surprise any of you that we have a difference of opinion when it comes to a lot of things, not only because I have the influence of social media, but just because he's got a fresh perspective that's kind of off the grid and he has that old soul mentality. So I'm hoping that the two of us who have been friends for a long time kind of jive in a way that will resonate with all of you. 
This episode is special because, you know, we're friends just talking and we were drinking a little bit. Uh, full disclosure, shout out to my friend Frank for for sending us a wonderful bottle of port, which we really finished really quickly in an embarrassing fashion. As a matter of fact, I think we were halfway through the show going, damn, we drank that fast. But it was a good time and it's a good get to know Saeed episode and talk about things. Look to see him on the show more frequently. Obviously, this being his first time, it was just kind of a feel, but... In between his schedule and my schedule, I look to have him on. And I want to try to talk about things like current events, things that are going on, things that are happening. A lot of times, social media influencers will just post stuff on the you know their social media or they'll go straight to a podcast and talk about something that happened. And I thought this would allow us to be a little more thoughtful, let a little time get into situations and then kind of go back and look at it, hindsight being 2020, and to really talk about stuff that's going on in a way where we're not just using it for clickbait, but we're really dissecting it and seeing if if we all feel the same way. So with no further ado, I give you my friend Saeed. Don't worry, his background and our history are definitely in the show, and I hope you enjoy it. Obviously, I do. He's my friend, and uh, look forward to more episodes featuring your boy. For those of you out there who don't know, Saeed is sitting in with me. He's he's going to be a reoccurring co-host. The extent of which really comes down to the trigger warning that I have to give you. You see, Saeed and I recorded a previous episode. And you, sir, said some things you shouldn't say. That episode will never be aired because, uh, unfortunately, there would be a lot of people that were offended. So despite the fact that, that Saeed is, is here and sounding professional and courteous now, this man may trigger you. So take the warning seriously. Welcome to the show, Saeed. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever going to hear that episode. Um, yeah, I got a little flagrant last time. That was only to save you, though. Mm. I think there was a little mischaracterization of what me. actually happened. How was that to save me? Yeah, I thought I should drop the atomic bomb to make sure that oh episode never gets released. Yeah, the cancel culture. This show would be on episode four and canceled already. Yeah, easily. <laughs> and I would have yeah. lost I my job. I would have been canceled before I, I ever anyone ever found out who I was. Yeah, you would have lost your job. Yeah. We would both be, I mean, arguably homeless. But yeah. the good thing is, is there's some editing discretion involved in this show. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a conversation since then about things you cannot say on the show. And we found a B button. We did. I'm not going to push it because I don't want. All right. I don't want to use. I don't want you to get too excited too early. I think you can just go off again got it, got and it, not press it. the beat button again. It's, just, it's not going to work for anybody. So you and I were talking a couple days ago about this whole Kanye game song that came out, and I know this show is technically about entrepreneurship and business, but I find this fascinating. We're both dads. We're both both husbands. Mm-hmm. The guy buys a house across the street from his wife. Next Creep- door. Next door is it right? Like- no, well, technically it's across the street, but I mean, literally, you can see. I mean, these are big ass homes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not like, you know, like, like my house or your house where like next, you know, you can see in somebody's window. Right. But the estate literally right across the street from his wife's house. Mm-hmm. Is that creepy? I think it's, it's hard to say, right? We don't, we don't know much about their relationship. You don't know if he's doing that as an intimidation factor. We don't know if he's trying to be father of the year. This we, dude just bought a $60 million house in Malibu. Right. Uh, I think it's called like a brutalist house or something like that. It's like a unique architectural style. I did, I did a thing on it on... I think it was TikTok and Instagram, but basically it's a really, really expensive home that he bought in. He could easily live there. You don't have to go. You can be a great dad and be like, you know, 30 minute, 40 minute drive away from your kids. Like That's okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a way to show some form of solidarity with his now ex-wife to his kids. Look, your mom and I, your mom and I didn't work out, but daddy tried. He could use this and say, daddy tried to do everything he could to be as close to you as possible. 
Okay, well, let's just go with that for now. Let's yeah, just let's see. give him the let, benefit of the doubt. Let, oh, you, for now. For now. Let, let's get into some more of this. So then, obviously, you know, you got Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson are, are together. The news has covered it. But as far as what I have seen, this has just been like the paparazzi catching them out. I haven't seen or heard anything of I'm like... I'm not this. buying this relationship, dude. Of course you're not buying that relationship, it's dude. All, but it's, all, it's a huge publicity stunt. Good for Pete Davidson, though. Can I keep... Man. I mean, yeah. Damn. I mean, yeah, good for you. That guy's track record has got to be insane. He's bipolar, too, though, right? Didn't you tell me that? No, I didn't know. My wife that. told me that. That's Bi- right. Bipolar? He's bipolar, too. Can you imagine if you're Kim Kardashian and, like, you got Kanye, who's arguably bipolar, right? Or, or maybe Medicaid. I don't know. Something, right? Something's not right there. And then you go to Pete Davidson, who is like, I think he's out as like being bipolar. Like he has like legitimate ups and yeah, downs. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear that. I, I watched his last special, but uh, maybe he mentioned it in there. I can't, I can't recall. But uh, I find him, I find him pretty funny. I feel like he's strapped and limited to what he can do or say because of SNL. I think, I mean, he's built out a nice little niche for himself. Yeah, and the niche is banging out some of the hottest chicks in Hollywood. I mean, Rightf- what's his, what's his so, niche? I mean, Rightfully so. Come on. Yeah, that is a goofy looking dude. I dude. mean, Ariana Grande, uh, Ariana Grande said that. He was packing heat. Oh, damn. I, <laughs> I did not know that. that and it's weird that you know that. No, we, he said we, it was in a special. He said, no, listen, I don't, he said let me tell you, this, I, this is actually hilarious. He said, he said uh, Aria, Ariana Grande played the biggest mindfuck on him by saying he told the, she told the world that he had a very large piece. And he said she did that just so that every girl could get disappointed for the rest of their life. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> that, that, that's, that is that's that a is, great that is, move. That is that is arguably warfare. Yeah, that right was in there, his, right? that was in his special. <laughs> I I hope for him that it's true because you, there's no coming back for it if, yeah. if it's not. Damn. <laughs> All right. So, but anyway, here's here's my thought. It's like, look, look, they they're out there. The press covers it, whatever. Then Kanye West releases an entire campaign, an entire campaign with him and his new girl, like. This is not like him, you know, like like a paparazzi taking photos of him and his girl. This is not like like him and her like being seen out somewhere. This is like staged photos of them with like dim light, like making out and crazy positions. And that's all over the internet. And like obviously like this whole campaign's blowing up and everybody wants to know who Kanye's girl is. Mm-hmm. That seems like a shot across the bow. That seems a little nutty though, right? It, I mean, ask yourself this. Oh no. He's always he's always he's always done this with with all of his girls, right? Dating back to Amber Rose, he's been in the public showing off his girls like this. Bro, right? for a guy who's not on social media, you know a whole strange amount of, of information about pop culture. Uh, I mean, I listen to my share of hip hop. So, um, <laughs> but but what I'll say is this: it has the the scent of some high school drama. She came out leaking stuff. Okay, I'll leak some stuff. You think you can make me look bad? I'll make you look bad. And it's just sad, man. There's kids involved. What are we What are we doing? Well, I mean, yeah, there are kids involved. There's families involved. Obviously, uh, some very prominent figures. It's astonishing to me. And then just this week, he releases a track with the game where he says, and I'm going to quote, I was going to play it, and then I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get sued by Kanye West again. (laughs) Anyway. It'd be um, good for the numbers, but it's okay. Yeah, it'd be great for the numbers. Sue me. It's okay. (laughs) But he releases a track saying, God saved me from the crash just so I could beat Pete Davidson's ass yeah that that's not right it's not right on a game song i mean who's oh. pete davidson dude he's just i mean he's just a comedian <laughs> like, well it's not very funny when a comedian is sleeping with your ex-wife who you've gone out and said you wanted to get back with right but is that his fault that she said that she wants to be with him that's his fault 
I don't know if it's his fault or not, but I'm just saying they're the whole, not friends. The whole thing seems weird, and it seems like a whole hell of a lot of drama being played out for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't know about the song until you mentioned it to me earlier or yesterday. But the more I think about it, if we just remove them as like pop culture icons, and you just think of the whole scenario as a whole, it's mm. sad, man. I mean, there are kids involved. These kids will read about this someday, and they. What will the kids, like, how will they react when they hear this in the future? Well, Kim Kardashian herself says she's got some explaining to do when, you know, mommy gets asked how she's famous. But luckily, not a problem for you and me. I mean, I think the the worst part about that song is I think he goes on to say something about how she doesn't raise the kids, the camera crew does. <laughs> that, that, to me, is worse than whatever he said about Pete Davidson. I don't care about the Pete Davidson thing. It's, I mean, now you're really taking a shot across the bow. You want to be with your ex-wife, but now you're gonna say she doesn't raise her kids. Come on, man. What are you? What are you doing? Yeah, but I mean, look, the guy, the guy's a little polar. I will say. So I saw on social media. I saw it was on Instagram. I saw like they were doing like a listening session in the studio. Clearly, when they recorded it, you got Game in there, you got Kanye in there, and there's a whole ton of people in the background. They're all listening to this, and they're all kind of vibing out. I'm sitting thinking like, there isn't one guy in the room is like, hey, man, like you know, I'm married, I got kids, maybe maybe a little too far. I think I think Kanye surrounds himself with a bunch of yes men and enablers. Anyone mm. that says no to him, he probably kicks them out because he's like, I'm the. Think about it this way, man. For as crazy as he is, people have probably been telling him from the moment his career started, don't do that, and he chose to still do it anyways, and he's been successful. So why would he ever? Why would he stop listening to himself? It's true. It's true, and it's funny. Like a lot of celebrities that I, that I've met over the years, they have a lot of that same. I don't want to say bravado, but they, I want to say that they have the same confidence in their own decision making just because, and I think it was Warren Sapp who explained it to me. Mm. We, were, we were sitting down one day and I was talking to him about like, you know, how he doesn't have like a normal lifestyle and he was really close to the former friend of mine. And I said, look, man, like, you know, most people don't come into like a, a state and get like a, a free car from a dealership they can drive around all the time. Like, you know, most people don't come to like go to a club and like they part. I went to a club with this guy at one point in time. They parted the seven seas wide open for him. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like it. The table next to us was all Victoria's Secret models and they literally combined our tables because, oh, hey, Warren's up, blah, blah, blah. And they all got to, it, was, it was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm-hmm. That would never happen to you. That would never happen to me. And Warren's point was. It's been this way since I was in high school. Right. They knew I was going to go play pro. So the world catered to me. Mm-hmm. When I got into college, they knew I was going to go play pro. So the world catered to me. When I became a pro, the world was still catering to me. And now it's they're catering even more. Right. It, it's just, it's weird. Like we, it's hard to understand that lifestyle. But at the same time, like it's easy to appreciate how you could lose touch with the reality. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how else, what else I can say to add to that, but it's true, man. It, they don't walk the same life as us. They don't, they're not playing the same game of life that we are. So it's hard for us to even be able to have this conversation without understanding everything as a whole. I almost want to clap for you. We've approached 10 minutes now and you haven't actually got this entire show canceled like the last time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. I mean, this is a new record. We should, we should, put, we should put something like this down. Ten, 10 minutes into the episode and the show is still airing. Well, I'll say, what, what episode is this going to be? Episode 11, 12? What is it? Oh, man. So uh, at the time of recording this, we got, I think we're booked up to, through May now. Oh, through May. Okay, so... so you're probably going to be like in the 30s, bro. Whenever the... Well, yeah, the 30s. So... Based on all the episodes I listened to thus far, I mean, I'm a father to mar- married, trying to be a good husband as well. I probably listened to half of them. 
right? And I really listen to half. I listen to half of them so what? far. Seriously? Yeah. You realize that's that's insulting, right? No, I'm trying to do my best. What are you trying to do? I got them all saved. I got them all saved. But I really like what you're doing. I really, really, really like what you're doing. I feel like you mentioned it on a previous episode how uh, you're doing this literally out of the kindness of your heart. You're not making much money out of this, if at all. Bro, so to date, and I don't want to give the exact numbers, right? but it's well into the five figures how much I've spent on this show and a year of my Easily. life before Easily. before anybody ever heard it. So most podcasts fail before episode 10. People, mm-hmm. people would just record them, kind of whatever. I decided that I was going to go into this. I was going to pay for a top tier production team to help me in the back end. Right. I was going to buy top tier equipment and I did upgrade, I think halfway through the show, but I was, I was going to go out and record. So I recorded, I think it was about 20 episodes before we actually launched the first episode, just to make sure that number one, I was committed to it. And two, the content was something that I felt comfortable putting out. Smart, man. I mean, that's in my opinion, if I were, if I were to do it, that would feel like the right way to do it you know, play the long-term game. But more importantly, back to what I was trying to get at is mm. I think you're providing, you're providing a service uh, to people that most people probably can't appreciate till much, much, much later. But I like it, so that's why I don't want to get you canceled. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, let me tell you, the weird thing about financial literacy is, is like people don't want to openly admit that they need help because yeah. they feel embarrassed. It's true. But at the same time, as a guy who... So my dad you know, is went to law school. He's got a master's and I think, you know, he's, he's an educated dude. He's got a PhD and no one ever taught me this stuff along the way. I just learned by seeing the stuff around me and in school, high school, nobody taught me college. Nobody taught me. And if you know, you do the same job that, that, that I did for the longest time. And I still do on some level, mm-hmm. you know, when you underwrite loans and you look at, you know, wealthy people, you start to notice these trends, right? I wish I would have known the stuff now, you know, back when I was 18, 19. Right. Yeah. I think everybody says that to some degree, but I thought if I, God, this is going to sound morbid, but you're, you know, you can appreciate this. I always think God forbid something happens to me. Right. You know, if I'm gone tomorrow, my wife and my son. Right. And in the, in the, in the eyes of the law, the word legacy literally meant your kids, but I wanted to leave something because it's more than me. It's about my son now. Mm-hmm. What am I going to leave behind? I made a daddy made a bunch, bunch of money and he left me a bunch of assets and left. Yeah. This will always be there. Right. Like the, the lessons that we leave people, as much as they're, they're for the audience and I hope that people appreciate it. And we've got some really interesting people on the show and there's tons of, tons of great guests coming on. This is our legacy to our kids. Like this is, this is a resource we can give them. Like, can you imagine? Like I never, I never really had a whole lot of working experience with my grandfather when I was a kid. You know, he, he died when I was younger, of lung cancer, secondhand smoke from my grandmother. Wow. And he never smoked a cigarette in his, day in his life. Can you imagine if I could turn in, you know, at night, or I could just sit down in bed and just listen to his voice, like teach me? Right. No, I mean, and that's priceless, man. I mean, to to give your son something like that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't recorded anything like this, obviously, but for myself, there are little lessons that I've learned over the years, and I just started this a couple of years ago. I have a little black book at home that I like to write because I, I could type it out to him. Saw a commercial once. Dad was writing his son a, a an email and get you know his own personal email address. I was going to give him the password one day to go back and check it all in. But I was like, I want to actually handwrite it so we see I took the time to really think this through and write out for him. And I, little lessons along the way that I've learned that I plan on giving to him someday. Wow. Like, give me give me flavor of like what one of those lessons is. What is what's that look like? Oh, there's a lot, man. There's there's stuff from I mean, 
twice, cut once, things like that. Where you know, and you you dive in for an example. I made, dude, I, I made mistakes like most people along the way for a lot of things. And even when you're trying to play smart, something that I learned from you a long time ago, but people may not know is you know, Chris and I have been friends for a long time. And um, it's unfortunate. I know, but. Chris has taught me a lot on, you know, patience. Chris is very, very, very patient. Are you I'm, kidding me? I'm the most impatient fucking person no, in the world. No, uh, to some degree, but to for a lot of things, like, I mean, it's 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 admirable, man, how patient how patient you are and willing to wait for the right time to do the right thing. And that's a valuable lesson that most people don't know and um, takes a while for them to learn. And unfortunately for most people, it's almost too late. Well, here's what I would say is I'm not a patient person at all, mm -hmm. at all by any stretch of the imagination. But what I figured out along, if you were to do like um, the strength finders, I think every single time I've done any kind of like personality profile like that, strategy comes up as like my number one skill set. Mm -hmm. You can say what you will. I don't think I'm a smart person at all. But I do think that when it comes to having like a longer term plan, like a longer term vision, I'm good at foregoing the instant gratification i'm good at holding the discipline to be to have a better outcome in the end exactly right and that plays out in the financial world a lot a lot of people think that i live in some crazy ass i mean we're in my garage right now right, right? and you know arguably my wife's garage because she's here more than i am but <laughs> but uh people always think that i'm in like some multi-million dollar house or like you know it's not about that for me and i think that the, the stigma that I get with social media too is, you know, I'm out there, I'm, I'm talking about financial history, I'm talking, I'm talking about wealth and everything else, but I'm not out here rolling in expensive cars or wearing Rolexes and doing all that stuff. And it's easy to sell a social media profile as being like successful when you start showing all those things, but I just don't believe in that. That's not my ethos. Right. Because I believe that the long-term play isn't about you and me. Mm -hmm. It's about our kids. Right. I want my son to have the opportunities I never had. I want my, I want our next generation to be empowered because they were, they had the option of your, your father, my father, they didn't, we didn't have an option of taking over their business. Right. Exactly. We didn't have an option of, of working with our parents and learning the family business and running everything. We can give that to our kids. We're not going to be the Vanderbilts, the Rothschilds. We're not going to be these, these, you know, uber affluent families, but at mm -hmm. the same time we could leave them with millions. We could, but more importantly than that, I, I would like to leave them with an ideology on my perspective on life, and hopefully they can grow to appreciate that and maybe understand me better as they get older. Mm. You think you understood your dad? I, I don't think I did for the longest time. I'm starting to now understand him a little bit more, but every, every, every moment I believe I'm starting to understand him more and more, I realize how little I did know in the past. Our parents are superheroes. My my dad turned seventy this year. Mm -hmm. My dad and I have fought a lot. We just have we just have different mindsets. But I you know I look at him and I think to myself like you know Bob Bob Saget just died. He was like sixty five or something. Like 60, it's mid sixties, right? For whatever reason, that really it hit me hard. It hit me hard. For, and I don't know why. I wasn't I wasn't a huge you know Bob Saget fan. I mean, I occasionally watch Full House growing up, but like, I watched TGIF every single Friday night with my mom growing up. That was we that was our series together. Mm -hmm. it was it ABC Channel Seven? Mm -hmm. We were just every single night we would watch that. I mean, when I went when I went to San Francisco the first time, the Painted Ladies, the house they lived in, that was one of the first houses I wanted to go see. Right. I that think what it was for hard. me is like I really res I kind of respected him in la especially the last few years because I always looked at him as like a a very clean act, but oh, I started no. I started to come across his stand up. Oh yeah, he's dirty. and I loved I loved how he there he was still true to himself, 
when mm-hmm. he was on stage. You know, he did that gig Full House because, I mean, that role probably paid him very, very well. But you couldn't do that today. Cancel yeah. culture would eat him up. Yep, that's true. You couldn't, you couldn't do that today. Uh, you know, another, another um, real, real prominent force like that was Robin Williams. Robin Williams was right. a totally derby. I'll never forget... He made the the joke about going down on a woman by going down on his armpit on a stage, which, you know, he was a super hairy dude. He was right, sweaty. Right, right, the right. image is like burned into my head that I didn't expect that comedy act mm-hmm. from the guy who played Mork and Mindy. And a lot of the younger generation listening to this right now have no idea what the hell we're talking about. And that's all good. That's fine. Yeah. So here's the point is my grandfather died at 63. Bob Saget, a guy I grew up watching like he was like the dad on television. 65. Right. 65. And now I'm looking at my dad who's turning 70 this year. And I think to myself, like, I don't know how much time we got left. It's true. I love my father for everything he was and that he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Because the fucked up part about it is, I don't know if I would have had the opportunities to chase the things that I had if my dad didn't have the lacking in some ways that made me hungry in other ways. Does that make sense? 100% makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I can totally relate to that. And, you know... Um, it's true what they say, you know, after you have kids, you appreciate your parents that much more. And it's hard for people who are listening to this that don't have kids. But that that statement really, really hits home to me because growing up, you know, like you, like you just said, I looked at both my parents, mom and dad as superheroes, like infallible. Yeah. Superman, superwoman all the way. And after having kids, I now see it as like, oh, man, like my dad was just another guy just trying to do his best. To, to raise us and that was his best you know my mom just another woman with you know life obstacles like trying to do her best and i viewed them as superman superwoman but they were just ordinary people just trying to get by you know what i'm gonna admit this and i'm just just to you nobody else <laughs> uh but you know what motivates me to this day mm. you know you know the thing that keeps me going it's not that i feel successful that i'm arrogant it's fear mm-hmm I don't want to lose. Every, I've always been afraid of being poor. Mm-hmm. I, my parents divorced when I was, ah, I want to say 12 or something like that. I, my mom and I didn't, my mom refused to take any money from my dad and my dad was willing to help, but there was, you know, term contracts that came along with that money. And, uh, there was a period of time we had, a, we had a fight to get, you know, change together out of the couch for a two liter bottle of diet Pepsi and a Hershey bar. And we ultimately lost that house. It was foreclosed on. It was a house that we all lived in before my, my parents divorced. But for some reason, I can't get over that fear. No matter how much money I have in the bank. Really? And, and I'll, be, I'll be honest. I, I, PTSD I got, there. Dude, I got seven figures in a bank just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I'm still afraid of being poor. Wow. I mean, fear, fear definitely drives me, drives me as well. For me, it's a different kind of fear. For me, it's, it's I'm fearful... And it's it's detrimental at times too. Uh, I'm fearful of not being the best dad I could be, 24 hours a day. Even when I'm not, even when I'm not with them, right? But what does that mean though? Like, I, so for best, me, the best dad is. Imp- I mean, there there is no best dad. It's there just, is no best dad, but the best version of myself to be a good dad to them, right? Yeah, but you're human. I am human. I know, but I, for me, as I have, I have an issue, and I I tend to get hard on myself and feel guilty at times when. If I put myself first uh, before them at any given mm. time, right? Doing something for myself, which we all know is very important, right? They teach you, what do they teach you on an airplane? Make sure you put the mask over yourself before your own kids so that you can make, 
you know, coherent decisions, right? And for me, it's like I I tend to always whatever it is put them first. And it's been it's actually been a little detrimental as of lately. We've been dealing with some behavioral issues with with uh with our kids, and that's because my wife and I we give ourselves one hundred and ten percent to our kids. And they now expect 110% all the time, you know. So now we got to do a better job of now scaling back a little bit, which we have been. Um, And uh, we've been seeing some of the progress. But it's that's for me, that's I'm I'm fearful of not being the best dad that I can be. But you you can see how, like, when I look at our parents, you know, my dad's from Iran, your your dad, Afghanistan. My mom was from the Midwest and she had a, a huge, like, melting pot of different cultural background. And nobody gave him a handbook. Like they have traumas and they, they live through some fucked up shit on their own right, you know, and especially like our, you know, our, our fathers came from, th- coming essentially from third world countries at the time here. Like I can't, first of all, I can't even imagine going to a different country starting over. I don't care what age, right, right. Then, but then, you know, not having trauma from where you grew up and where you grew up, you know, where you came from, and and the cultural differences. I, and I look at my dad, you know, at seven years old, and I, the stuff that used to make me really mad, like, dude, I had like a fucking eight o'clock curfew at night when I was like the senior in high school. You know what fucking kind of yeah, bullshit yeah. that was? <laughs> Come on, like, Get the fuck out of here, bro. <laughs> Sabotage, man. Come yeah. on. Couldn't get on AOL because I'd be clogging the phone line. <laughs> <laughs> I remember was, that. Yeah, it was, it was AIM, it was, whatever. But I look at that stuff, and now those are the, those are the memories that, that make me smile the most. Like how much, like, you know, he didn't get it, but... He was trying to protect me in whatever weird way he could. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I'm talking about him like he's gone. I talked to him earlier today, but you know, it's just I look at I look at my son and I look at myself in the mirror now, and I can recognize there is no handbook for this. No, we're, we're going to make mistakes, right? And it's tough for a previous generation to give us pointers when they don't know what it's like to grow up in this day and age. I mean, think about everything that's going on with COVID, like. My my mom and dad can't tell me how to raise my kids when I'm at home working and my kids run up to me and I have to tell them, hey, please, like I need to get my work done. You know, what what kind of effects does that have on a kid? They don't have any experience in that. So it's, it makes it tough. There's really no handbook. Mm. Speaking of which, working from home permanently now. Permanently. You're that guy. It's been nice, man. I definitely feel, you know, more active, more present as a father. I love, you know, I give the kids showers every day but get, you're clearly not listening to enough podcasts right not, no because i'm trying to be a good dad what do i do not hey, driving enough yeah, hey, yeah, affecting, I, affecting the ratings <laughs> of this show <laughs> no man but i will listen to all of them but i'm no, just trying to like i lying? said just like, trying to be the best it. dad i can be on, you best dad you're a terrible friend though <laughs> <laughs> hey that makes two of us <laughs> bro I, I got like 11 episodes out you told me about two that you listen to no man i'm listening, I'm listening to like six of them oh no, come on down to half that's, you said six on purpose to try to be half. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible lie, man. So the irony is, for those of you who cannot see what we're doing right now, we're sitting in the garage, which effectively is half a garage and half a home gym that I have not used. It is effectively holding my it's sweater. It's sad, man. It's it, sad. It, it is sad. It is really, there's a Peloton over there covered in a Travis Scott rug because obviously I can't be seen standing on a Travis Scott rug now after Travis. what happened. <laughs> What is a Travis Scott rug? It's over there in the corner, man. It's, yeah, it's, 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 why would you? Why would you need that? Because it, 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 I, don't, I didn't need it. I was trying to get the, the Travis Scott fragment shoes, and I didn't get them, so I got mad and bought the Travis Scott rug. Is that is that what people were standing on when they were getting crushed in the front row? That's that's too soon, man. You can't you can't do that. No, uh, the ones that survived. That's what I meant. Come on, man. Stop. <laughs> stop. Stop. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> 
All right. So I got a serious question for you because this is a show about somewhat about entrepreneurship and business. Okay. You don't have any social media presence. I don't. I don't. I, I see what it's done to a lot of people. There was a study that my wife and I, we, uh, a little, little research project that some, some girl did online and we read about it and it you realize really, you're making this sound very inauthentic, right? No, no, I'll, I'll tell you. This is some research project some little girl did online. No, not some, it's not, it's not some like Oxford girl. or Cambridge, bro. What no, it's not Oxford doing? or Cambridge, no, but it was a personal study somebody did. And I think it's relatable and just hear me out. So this lady, she, she took a, a toll of how many times her at the time, I believe it was an 18 month old daughter would look at her throughout the day right um for affirmation based on what they were doing and on average after a 30-day span it was somewhere in the ballpark of 30 times a day now we all work so those times are excusable but if i'm on social media just bullshitting tiktok instagram what it and that's not even real life and my kids looking at me for affirmation and i miss that like oh daddy look what i just put the building blocks up together i I didn't want to be that guy that missed it so Early, mm. when my wife and I first got married, we're talking eight years ago, we both decided to, you know, delete all social media and life has never been better. I don't miss it. I don't miss it even a little bit. Okay. So let, let's take this up a notch. I firmly believe, and this was not always my belief. I was off social media for a very, very long time that we have now reached a, a juxtaposition in life where people were talking about the metaverse, Right. Right where they're talking about living inside of a virtual reality. Ready Player One. Ready Player One. It could not be more of an accurate depiction of what could be the future. Mm-hmm. However, I believe even before that, there is there is a measure of what that's like. So two years ago, I made a proactive and cognitive decision to get out there more. And for an executive at a publicly traded institution, being out there more has uh, ramifications. You know, the people are constantly searching the dark web to get my email address and everything else. And there's a lot of risk that goes into that. But I consciously made that decision to try to own this digital real estate that was my name online. I'm not going to say it was easy and I'm not going to say I didn't make mistakes. I made some fucking terrible decisions as it related to PR and marketing and I'm getting better. But that has paid dividends. Right. I hate to say it, but what the internet says you are is what people will believe you are. That's true. That's true. Especially based on what you're trying to grow and build. You need that presence. It's it's part of the business. It's part of the brand. Shouldn't we right? all be trying to grow and build our personal brand? Yeah, 100%. Especially with, I mean, there's some people out there that think, you know, you're eventually your credit score and your what you're searching online will you'll all have like a social credit score. But it's like, not some people, but there's already AI that's proactively looking at change and trying to change the way our credit works. Our credit algorithm looks retroactively. The, mm-hmm. the best indicator like of our future behavior history. is our past behavior, right? Yeah, they'll even. I mean, they're willing. There was an article that came out that said they're willing to you know look into potentially bumping up our credit score if you give them access to your browser history. Ladies and gentlemen, please let the record show that Saeed has not listened to yet another podcast episode <laughs> in which I discussed this topic in gross detail. Thank you. I said article, I meant a podcast. That's yeah, what I fucking terrible friend. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. But, but yeah, so like why you don't have any interest in owning that digital real estate? No, of course I do. I mean, if you look at it in that sense, all I, I made that we made that decision solely based on the fact that we didn't want our time taken away from us from things that we view more valuable. Look, so I, I love the idea that I really do. And I, I right. love the ethos of being a parent. And trust me, I, my son is priority number one. Right, right. However, 
I would say your presence online does matter. Influence is quantifiable. Right. They, they, there are things you can do to figure out. Now, I will say there's a generation of outgoing executives and people that top of companies who don't have an appreciation for social media, don't have an appreciation for Google. But the, the younger and younger successful people that I talk to, the first thing they're going to do, Google your name. Mm-hmm. First thing they're going to do. Check your LinkedIn. Check your LinkedIn. Check your you know your Instagram. Check, check your profiles. Is he verified? Is he not? And I hate to say it, but that shit matters. Mm-hmm. That shit that shit has that carries weight. I mean, especially in things like the NFT, the crypto space, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's it's big. I mean, it's something that eventually, obviously, we will have to do. We know we know that, and it's not something we've given much thought or talks. Not like we're it's a rule, fast rule in our house where no, you're not. We're, neither of us are allowed to have it. It's just something that we decided to delete early on, and we had never looked back. It's mm-hmm. never even been a point of conversation. I don't miss it a little bit. I don't feel like I'm left out of anything. Um, only thing I do is I miss people's birthdays. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, I gave up that a long time ago. If you're expecting a birthday, yeah, you're only getting you're only getting birthday messages because they got social media. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't worry. I think it's episode 12, which comes out two weeks from this, uh, a week from this upcoming Tuesday. By the time everybody else hears this, is probably uh, well well already out. But we talked about friendship, and I tell you that friendship has been redefined by the little heart that you tap on social media in the comments that you leave yeah uh, as much as as i hate that he, here's what i will say that's a dual-edged sword right like so your friends see what's going on because you look at your stories and your feeds and your twitter feeds and all that stuff and they go oh okay i know what chris is up to because he's been posting x y and z right they feel like they're connected to you but at the same time there's a whole category of friends who will never like that photo who will never comment on that photo who will never publicly be seen on your shit mm-hmm and I, I take a huge amount of objection with this voyeuristic trend that we have with society. Like if, you're, if we're connected and we're friends, mm-hmm. you should be engaging with my content. And if you don't like my content, don't follow me. But so that's, that's also another issue, right? That's another reason why, that's one of the many reasons why we, we didn't like having social medias because if I had it, that would mean I would have to check all my closest friends' profiles all the time. No, no, right? no, no, no. You know what I mean? You don't have to check it all the time. Look, the system is gamified. There's no, there's no doubt about that, right? right. The system is set up. It, it could be easily done in a way where Instagram could notify you in a different way or right. Twitter could notify you in a different way. They do it to trigger those receptors of, the, of your brain like a slot machine. They've yeah. actually done a study on this. Yeah, I, I read this one. Where they did you know, the, the scanning effects of the brain at the slot machine, those, those dopamine hits, you get the same level of a rush with social media engagement. Well, it the, can become very addictive. Well, the programmers of these phones and these apps are, were made to do it this way intentionally yeah. to, to mimic a slot machine on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Every time you pick up your phone, there's a notification from some app that you had, and that mm. feels like a little win. Oh, huge win. Bro, yeah. I got a counter on this desk right now talking about how many people <laughs> followers I got on yeah. every single social media platform. And I will tell you, like little things along the way have become very addictive. Like trying to figure out how to monetize, you know, this business has been one of them. But I mean, I, I'm bleeding money left and right for the social media stuff that we're doing and definitely trying to figure out a way to gamify the system has been has been one of them because there are a lot of people making money out there on things like courses, selling courses, right? We I talked to We know them too well. We, we know them all very, very well. And, and I'll tell you that these people are making seven figures on this stuff. I know doctors who literally quit being doctors to be social media influencers and they're making three, four times as much money doing that and they're way happier. It's funny. It, 
it's it's funny that you say that, man, because you know, based on the business that we do, we talked about you used to do what I currently do now, underwriting loans, and it doesn't matter what anyone's profession was, whether they were a doctor, a scientist, uh, something, whatever. At the end of the day, all all these all these rich guys and rich gals are uh, real estate investors, right? And now it's starting to feel like, based on what you're saying, is everyone's trying to be an influencer. Well, so yeah, let's run that down. I think at one point in time, so I. Yeah. I did a lot of research in the families that were exceedingly wealthy at the time of the industrial revolution. And people don't really understand that a lot of the way that our modern education system works is based off of the educational platform that was put in place by that same transition of time by happenstance. So what happened is real estate ownership really was indicative of wealth prior to the industrial revolution. And then these families really rose up because they owned businesses. They were titans of industry. The same families that we think of as the uber wealthy today, the Rothschild, the Vanderbilt, same ones I dropped in the early part of the show. They still have wealth in their families today. And the U.S. government went out to these families and said, and there was about 10 of them, and said, hey, look, we need to revamp the way we're teaching kids. Mm -hmm. And they went from a really privatized system to a really public school system. What do you need from your workers? Mm. Now, when you think about the context of that question, what do you need from your workers? That isn't saying what's in the best interest of the American people to each you know, reach their, their dream and success. It's what do you, the top 10 industries in this country that I need to keep happy right. need? Right. So that was the plan. And for a long time, that plan worked. You know, teach it, you know, give me somebody who's going to raise their hand and ask questions. Give me somebody who's an independent thinker who can go into management. And, and I don't want to make it sound nefarious, but they told them what they needed. Right. Right. And you can go get an MBA and then you would guarantee certain positions in management. Well, corporate America doesn't work that way anymore, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, that great transition of power into businesses has changed dramatically. But I think we're at the precipice of another change. Mm -hmm. We spent so much time seeing you and me and everybody else in, you know, in the business that we do, seeing that, that their wealth was tied to either real estate or, or a giant portfolio of stock. And it usually had some real estate for their own personal use and a lot of it. Right. Right. I think the time is changing. I think the, the tides in front of us are in the metaverse is an interesting thing, right? People are getting the NFT space. I know people think about photos and I've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but I really do think that this influence, this life, this, this digital presence will be that next version of wealth. Right? No, it makes, I mean, it makes sense. Um, for these, the, I mean, the crypto space, uh, it's starting to gain more and more stability every single day. You think about, you got the crypto arena is replacing staples now. That gives us even more stability. And Crypto.com. Uh, yeah, crypto.com. And mm. I mean, the NFTs, for the longest time, you and I briefly spoke about this. And I know you've talked about it on a previous podcast, but um, I didn't, I didn't quite, I don't, I still don't understand F NFTs. I just thought it purely related to digital art, which I'll never understand. Um, like you mentioned on a previous podcast, you could just screenshot it. Look, I got one too. But um, I didn't know about the whole Tory Lane selling albums on there. I didn't know that was possible. And then Bro, he he's gets, making so much money in the secondary market. Yeah, and the, he gets a percentage of the resale. I didn't know that was, you know, associated with NFT. So a hundred percent, there's so much that can be done that I don't even fully understand yet. Um, and I don't think most people do, which I think there's, you know, the cause of the hesitancy, but, um, the more and more people talk about it, the more and more people like yourself educate people on it. I think it, it's, it'll be a staple. I just recorded a, a podcast. It was earlier this week, uh, with Daniel Allen Cohen. 
He's mm-hmm. the artist behind This Is Addictive. Mm-hmm. He's considered an emerging artist, but the dude's been around for over a decade. And and I've, I actually own two pieces of his art. Mm-hmm. Ironically, before I got the American Express black card, one of the things I was gifted was one of his American Express black cards, which is custom engraved your name on it. You can talk about it as a visualization piece, but it really brought me to his art. And I subsequently bought a piece, and I'm probably going to buy another one here soon. But he was the first person as an artist, and this is probably like four or five years ago to eh, maybe two or three, to talk to me about NFTs and what it meant to him. And he was telling me that he went to sleep one night and he woke up. And I don't want to say how much money he was making, but right. but he went to sleep one night, woke up the next morning, and he had made a significant amount of money. I think it was like four or five figures. Wow. And you know, he, he said that's that's the power of NFTs. People don't understand it. They, they just look at it straight as like the art being a picture, but they don't understand that this NFT space means so much for the ownership of artists like me. Right. Normally he wouldn't get paid. So he said it the other day on the podcast, I found this astonishing. Like if you're Vincent Van Gogh, mm-hmm. you're, you know, Leonardo da Vinci. Right. And you were still alive to this day and someone sold your stuff at Sotheby's or Christie's or something like that. You don't get paid anything on that. The guy who owns, who owns the art gets paid. Right. Because he owns it. But you're the artist. You made right. that. You don't get nothing on the resale, right? And, and that's the way society has worked. So a lot of this is changing, and that that's really where I find the most fascination in in the, in the space. I don't. I go on to Twitter a lot. I'm trying to get more engaged on Twitter because it's really become like a crypto NFT thing, where like everybody and their mothers like all about about NFTs on on, mm-hmm. on Twitter. But it's it's certainly interesting as a vehicle. But anyway, look, we hit the 40 minute mark. You have not dropped. Any inflammatory conversations? Nothing flagrant. We may actually be able to air this show. Holy shit! I, I'm I'm completely surprised. You sure you don't want to say anything? No, 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 crazy? no, no, I mean, no. So the, no, the key, the trick to this, no, we was didn't drink alcohol. enough. We didn't have enough. We didn't have enough. This is a nice bottle. Though. It what is, is a nice bottle. It's a Porto Twenty. It's technically a dessert wine. Anybody listening to this, don't judge me. But it was a gift, and it is. It kind of tastes like a like a bourbon with a little more cinnamon. It's in it. very good. I will be. It will be my gift of choice to people moving forward. Really? Yeah. It's Look really at good. you. Yeah. Hopefully, we get sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, you're gonna be waiting a long time for that. <laughs> there, there are some inflammatory things yeah. and episodes coming up that might kill all the good sponsorships. But that you wouldn't know because you're listening to the podcast anyway. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, do, that's fine. Come on, we got toddlers. Well, anyway, I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate you coming out. Hopefully, we can make this a very, very regular thing, as long as you can, you know, keep yourself in check and you could, you know, mind yourself on the alcohol. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow, he's looking at me. You should see he's flipping me off, everybody. <laughs> All right. Till next time, brother. I appreciate you being here. Love you, man. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.